Isaiah 35. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burn into it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. So the idea of of this month and uh, how we're approaching Christmas goes back hundreds of years. There are these things called lectionary readings and they're, they're There are readings that are aligned with certain Sundays. And the idea is that over time, this was especially useful when people uh, in in like pre-literate cultures where there weren't copies of the Bible sitting everywhere. Over these cycles, people in churches would know scripture. And so it was kind of read uh, ritualistically throughout the year so that there were certain passages associated with certain Sundays. And the Christmas passages were almost all from the book of Isaiah. And so what we want to do is we want to go back and look at these passages because sometimes um, the ritual is great, except when it becomes just kind of blah, blah, blah. And you get through it, and then you really don't know what you've read or what you've spoken or what was read up front, and your mind wanders and all that. So we're going to try to bring the so what into some of these ancient uh, ritualistic readings and, and, and talk through why does it really matter in our everyday life. So this is the third Sunday of Advent, and it's the, it's the joy candle. That's why it's the pink candle. So the other weeks um, have to do with uh, uh, penance. Most of the Sundays um, are about penance, feeling the guilt of sin. Um, it, it, but, but the pink candle was the Sunday out of Advent that you were allowed to, to uh, express joy. It's not like the culture I aspire to at Polaris where like one out of four Sundays we can express joy. But in the ancient church, like the, like the, the priests would wear um, pink uh, vestments and things like that. And there would be pink uh, uh, banners. I almost wore salmon today just to be festive. But I didn't because I don't have anything salmon. Not that there's anything wrong with that. But that's where the pink candle comes from, is this is the Sunday of Advent, especially where we look to these ancient prophecies to find joy. So, when I think through what Spencer read, there's an important concept if we want to get the most out of Scripture, and that's understanding the role of the desert in Scripture. You have both the literal historical accounts of the desert, but also a tremendous amount of spiritual symbolism in there because the deserts represent our times of drought, dry seasons of depression and need and want and failure and darkness, despair. And we all walk through those seasons, but the message of Christmas, the message of Isaiah is that there will come a time, God is not done with your situation, there will come a time when your desert, oh yeah, middle school can go. And go, and go, and go. No, seriously, go. No, I'm kidding. Um, There will come a time when the desert landscape that you're looking at 
will become flowers, will become vineyards. It'll turn around because God is not done. So there were long seasons, generations even, where all the Israelites had were these prophecies from Isaiah. All they could see was failure. All they could see was depression. They had been conquered. People laughed at them. People made fun of them. It looked like God was done with them. But they had those Isaiah promises that one day God was going to redeem the situation. One day God was going to bring joy and health and vitality, whereas now all they could see was desert. One day. And some of the Israelites were able to find hope while they waited. Some even found joy while they waited. They looked at the desert of their life where there wasn't a lot of evidence that God could be involved, but they saw those Isaiah passages and they said, no, God promised me. God promised us there will be a day when he's going to redeem this when all things will be restored. And so they had to try to find joy while they waited. Now, the Christmas story fits into this because when Jesus was born, it represented the first major fulfillment of those Isaiah prophecies. Not the whole fulfillment. That hasn't been realized yet completely because this world has not been completely restored and redeemed. But the first major move that God made was to send Jesus. It w- when he became flesh, he showed us, he showed Israel, he's not done. He is working toward the fulfillment of his promise. So Christmas is a reminder that even though things aren't perfect yet, there's a plan, there's a promise, and God is working toward fulfilling his promise. So I want to look at a guy named Simeon. In Luke chapter 2 of the Christmas story, there's a man named Simeon, and he works like in the temple. And again, there have been hundreds and hundreds of years, generations of Israelites that had nothing but this promise from Isaiah, nothing but desert. And some of them, like Simeon, still believed God is going to do something to fulfill those promises. God still loves me. He's still working. So Jesus is born hundreds of years into this. And we read this in Luke chapter 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So he knows somehow, whether God spoke to him audibly, maybe an angel, maybe just like deep down, he just knew God was telling him, you're not going to die before the Messiah, the fulfiller, is born. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When when the parents, when Mary and Joseph brought in the child Jesus 
to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation of the gent- to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. In other words, what Simeon was saying is, I have evidence that you are faithful, God, and that you will fulfill your promises to me. Now, here's the thing. For Christmas, for life, when you think about Simeon's situation, he was an old man. And he knew from that, he knew that he was not going to see in his lifetime the complete fulfillment of God's plan. Like really, aside from getting to hold the baby, his life wasn't going to change. Jesus wasn't going to be old enough to do anything in his lifetime. He would never hear even a single teaching of Jesus. But he says, my life is full. I'm ready to go. I'm finding joy in the promise itself. In other words, I'm still waiting I'm not going to see the fulfillment in this lifetime, but I still find joy just seeing God involved. <coughs> Excuse me. For many of us, we're waiting on that thing, whether it's an answer, a prayer to be answered, a timing thing. Maybe you just want to be done. You just want to be home. You just want for God to come and fix things. Christmas is about seeing Jesus and knowing God is involved, but his plan is unfolding over time, and it's saying, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust his faithfulness. I'm going to trust his promises. Even though I look at my life and I don't really see him, what I do believe is that he sent his son. That's all Simeon had was the evidence. He sent his son. He must be working here. And sometimes for us, joy comes when through seasons of waiting, all we say is, you know what? I don't have anything except I know that God sent his son. I know that he's faithful and that one day he will restore all things. And so there's a kind of joy in the waiting. If nothing else, Christmas is a celebration and a reminder that while we wait in the desert, God is still working to fulfill his promise. And so we wait with great expectations and with great hope. Let me make a move now, a little awkward gear shift. Let's talk about dogs. When I was growing up, um, the Poindexter house, we, we had a lot of dogs. One at a time, they just weren't much in the longevity you know, it, was, it was, was not a good thing to be welcomed into the Poindexter household as a dog. We didn't keep them long. Um, but one of the things that dogs taught me is what it means to wait. Dogs are great waiters. 
I would, um, Golden Crisp was a fixture at the Poindexter house. And if you're not from like Stark County, Massonary, you probably don't know what Golden Crisp is. It's a potato chip, white bag, and three ingredients. Potatoes, salt, lard. And they're proud of it too. It's just like on the bag, ingredients. Potatoes, salt, lard. Got to die of something. And I'd come home from school every day and I would hit the Golden Crisp. And one of my dogs, the dog would hear the bag rattle, and you'd hear from wherever they were, you'd hear the, the collar rattling, and they're running, and then they hit the linoleum of the kitchen, it's like, they fly up and they slide, and they're right there. They'd do that for like 10, 15, 20 minutes. Before they got anything, they're just, and they're not like, when you, when you think about how we wait, or like how toddlers wait. It's like, but dogs aren't like that. Dogs are like their, their tails wagging and their, their eyes are wide and they're just, they just wait with great expectation. doesn't matter how long. They're excited in the waiting. Or if they would wait for my dad to get home at like three o'clock in the afternoon, they'd just go there by the window and just stare, look at the road. And wait with excitement. And I feel like that's the image. That's what I want to be true of me. Not waiting impatiently or waiting grumbling. Just excitement while we wait. And it doesn't matter what's going on in the world around us. We're waiting. Believing that God is faithful to his promise. That's why he sent Jesus. And if we can make the faith move to believe that he sent Jesus, then it's about our faith moving us to a place of excitement as we wait on God to fulfill his promise someday. So Jesus as he finished up his time on earth with his disciples he knew Man, they see me face to face. That was a pretty good picture of the someday of heaven. When Jesus walked with his disciples and and they saw his miracles, they saw God step in and do whatever to take the pain away. But he knew, you know what? Um, He was about to be crucified, raised to life again, ascended, and now there was separation. Now there was waiting. It says this, that, that he, he, he gathered the Passover meal together and his disciples. And he says, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this, divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine. Until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And he gave thanks and he broke it. He gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after the supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Which is poured out for you. So Jesus calls his disciples toward the future. He says, there will be a day 
when the kingdom has come, when we sit at this table and we eat together in perfection. But while you wait, take this piece of bread and remember my body that's broken on the cross for you because I love you. Remember my love while you wait. He says, take this drink, whether it was wine or grape juice, and said, remember my blood that's flowing on the cross for forgiveness. So he calls us to forgiveness. We're not waiting, (coughs) trying to get life right, trying to be good enough for the someday, trying to earn the reward. We're waiting in the context of forgiveness, where the God who loved us, the Jesus who loved us, paid the price for our sin. He said, so while you wait, you sit at this table and you remember that this world is heading somewhere toward fulfillment. And the Bible says that they were so moved by this that almost any time they met together, they would break bread and remember how much Jesus loved them And that this was headed toward fulfillment and a meal eaten together in eternity when Jesus had restored everything, when God's kingdom had come. And so this is why as a church, every Sunday, we have this communion time. Because we're waiting with excitement together as a family for God to complete what he began when he sent his son Jesus to this world. And so we're going to take communion right now, and if it's something you want to be a part of, if you believe this stuff, you just take the bread and remember his body that he gave because he loved you, and take the the juice and remember his blood that he shed because he loved you, and remember that this is a waiting room. We are waiting together on God to fulfill his promise. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, study the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with vengeance and divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lamb leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, and the thirsty ground bubbling springs. In the haunts where jackals once lay, grass and reeds and papyrus will grow. So this section of the lectionary also from Isaiah 35 points out for me uh, the tension, the terrible tension of this waiting, trying to fight for joy because just amazing promises of like the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, uh, people with all kinds of crippling disabilities. Uh, They're healed, they're shouting for joy, there's dancing in the streets. That's the promise. But yet we live in this time waiting for fulfillment. And there's a lot of tension there because I know that there are many of you, like I know your stories. And so many of us praying for all sorts of different things, just waiting and hoping. And and a lot of those times, 
God doesn't do that. Because that is not yet. So you think about what this said to the Israelites and, and, and really put ourselves in, in their mindset when they took this in. Uh, some of them, when they heard this, were, were just, let's say they're 10 years into this desert time of punishment where they were attacked and, and taken from their land and their, their land was, was destitute and they were mocked by others and, and, and as a nation, they were reduced to nothing. And they knew, man, this was our sin. God told us not to do this. He told us this was going to happen. Now it's happened. It's obvious that this is a punishment from God. The prophecy was right on. Now here we sit in our mess. And for some of us, like, we've been there, right? Like, I, I messed up. I did the stupid thing. I said the stupid thing. Maybe it was sinful. Maybe it was just a really dumb idea. And now <clears throat> you're sitting in the consequences of your own mess. And it's like, how long? Is God done with me? Have I gone too far? Have I lost it all? And there's this promise of restoration. But man, how long do I have to wait and sit in my own consequence? Others of you, think about the children there. Like it was their parents that did all this. And now they're a generation into this. They're probably 40 years old. And Israel's a mess and it wasn't their fault. It's completely outside of their control. They're just having to deal with either life and what it brings you or other people messing up their life. Some of you can relate with that. It's like, this isn't my fault, but I, my parents did this or that guy did this or that lady did this or my spouse did this or whatever. And now you're living in this mess and this desert and it really isn't your fault but it, you, you see these promises maybe there's an ailment or an illness or you just wait for like oh when when is God gonna and I know your stories and how we're in this season of of so many praying and crying and hurting and and missing loved ones and, and just waiting for God to come and fix it and all we have is this promise. <clears throat> what do we do in this tension? The promise that, that so doesn't match our reality. Well, here's my advice to you when you go through these desert seasons. And, and this is a big deal for me. Like if I write a book, it'll probably be about this someday when I'm retired in between golf rounds, and I'm working on my life book, it'll probably be something along these lines, okay? This is my advice to you. Enjoy the moment. Appreciate the season. The valley is sacred. Here's why. Whatever you're going through right now that has you in pain, realize that in all eternity, this lifetime is the only season, this fast lifetime, is the only season where you will have to believe a God that you can't see, where you are waiting on restoration. Peppered throughout the Bible is God's promise, one day, I'm going to return and clear the accounts. Every 
tear is going to be wiped away. There will be no more pain or dying. No more. It's done. It's face to face for the rest of eternity. This is the one season where we have to experience heartache and distance from God, where we learn what it's like to not have face-to-face friendship with God. This is it. Not another one like it. So I want you to picture this stage as a timeline. This is the timeline of eternity, which in theory I know would go on forever. But let's just picture this stage captures billions and billions and billions and billions of years. And then we have, let's give ourselves a 100-year lifespan. What what does that look like on an eternal time? Well, technically, it wouldn't even register on an eternal time frame. But let's just say it's like this much of a timeline of eternity. This much. This much. That's the season of waiting in need. That's the season of desperation where nothing makes sense, where we have to wait in pain on God to restore all things just this much. So while we live in this pain and uncertainty, when we go through desert seasons, remember that this is the season of need, where we have to look to God in complete and total faith because we can't see him, where we have to say, you know what? I believe that Jesus came 2,000 years ago, and I never saw it, but I believe it, and that shows me that God is not done, and one day he's going to fulfill his promises. This is it. This is the only season in all eternity when we're in need. So what I want to do now, just like communion reminded us of the waiting. I want to sing this song together to remind ourselves that this is the season, the only season in all eternity of need. And let's use this season, let's use this life to express to God, we believe anyway. We're trusting anyway. And we're going to wait on him in our need so that we know him better for the rest of eternity. Let's stand. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be there for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there, nor any ravenous beast. They will not be found, that will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow sighing will flee away. So this is how Isaiah 35 finishes up. And I, I really, it's a fitting way to finish up talking about finding joy in the waiting. Here's what God promises to the exiles people far away from their land, far away from God. It says, there will be a highway, a path that people can walk back with joy to experience their God. 
there will be a path that takes us back to God. This is why Christmas is such a big deal. I'll read to you from the Gospel of John. John chapter 14. Jesus says, I am the way or the path. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one gets back to God except through me. So that path of Isaiah that they were waiting to lead them back to God, lead them back to experiencing God while they waited, that path is Jesus. He's the one who came. He's the one who lived his life for us and ultimately showed us how to live, what to do with our life. And the promise is that when we walk that highway, we experience overwhelming joy as we walk. As we walk with Jesus, as we focus on him, as we live how he lived, we find overwhelming joy. That's the promise. And I have to tell you that what I see in life, what I've experienced myself, what I've seen in others, is that when you commit to learning through the Gospels, the teachings of Jesus, actually developing your life around those teachings in every circumstance, no matter what. When you talk with Jesus and listen to Jesus and learn from Jesus and center your life in Jesus, you can have that kind of kingdom of God joy now. Now, even while we wait. There is something to this Jesus thing. One of the things I've seen that, that I'm learning that I absolutely love about what I do, and I can think of certain families just these past couple years, when someone either, maybe someone is just kind of far from God and far from church, and they start to actually live this kind of Jesus path, or what I really love is when someone has been connected with a church somewhere, like they just weren't getting much out of it, and then they find Jesus and really connect with the Jesus lifestyle, the Jesus approach to life, with his teachings, with prayer and talking with him. And, and they just come alive. It's like there's just joy vitality, energy, and I, I, I experience it myself. It's why I do this, but I also, I see that in people. And I think, oh my gosh, it, it's so saddening to think of so many people trying to figure out this waiting period without this path to experience God that's found in Jesus. And so I want everybody, in, like, like, you may navigate this waiting period without really connecting with this Jesus lifestyle. And that's, that's on you. And that's up to you. It's your choice. But if someone's in earshot of me 
on Sunday mornings, it's not going to be, they're not going to choose that because they didn't know. I am telling you, there is something to this Jesus thing. And when I see people connect with it, when I see them like walk through obedience, uh, baptism, and come up out of that water and, and, and feel that newness from that commitment, when I see them begin to hand over old habits for new ones, to do hard things that don't necessarily make sense relationally just because Jesus tells them to in Scripture. And I see how they experience God. Because I've seen people that make that choice walk through some pretty excruciating life circumstances with joy because they have friendship with God here now. Conversely, I've seen people with a pretty good life who don't walk with Jesus and they're miserable. There is something to this Jesus thing. And I hope if you haven't made that commitment deep down, yes, I'm all in walking this path, living like Jesus. I hope this Christmas time you will make that decision because there can be overwhelming joy while we wait. So Christmas is a season of waiting. It's a reminder that we live in a season of waiting, but it's also a reminder that God is involved and he sent us Jesus. So there is so much cause for joy and hope and celebration. So one more song, come on up. And we are just going to speak that message to God that we are going to walk while we wait in the joy that comes from walking with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. We're trusting you anyway. We see this life and all that isn't redeemed and isn't perfect. We're trusting you anyway. We're waiting on you with joy for the restoration of all things. And we're convinced that we're going to see it. In Jesus' name.